this church. As I said earlier, it's glad to be back with you. Hope you have missed me. <laughs> if not, I miss you as well. <laughs> I love you too. If you have your Bible, please open it to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 31. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. One of my goals on vacation was to, um, to unplug and, and get rest. And for me, unplugging meant taking a break from social media, you know, like uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, because for me personally, sometimes those social media outlets are not really good for my soul. So I, did, so I decided to delete the Facebook app off my phone and limited my time on it. And I did unplug from it. It was good, not checking it every minute and every hour. And what I have come to see about this particular social media outlet is that Facebook to me is no longer Facebook. I call it Fleshbook because it's a place where our fleshy nature can be seen, our nature, the nature of other people as well. We have a tendency to turn uh, Facebook into a war zone, to a war room, where we battle other people on highly sensitive issues or non-petty issues. And we can do this with all forms of social media. And so we can easily forget who our true enemy is as we function on social media. We can forget that. We can forget that, that we are in the midst of constant spiritual welfare against our souls. Whether life is good or bad, whether it's on a mountaintop or you're in the valley, whether you're in health or in sickness, whether you're in riches or in poverty, you are always in the midst of some form of spiritual warfare against your soul. Because we have a supernatural enemy who commands the spiritual forces of evil against you. A supernatural enemy who even uses your own flesh against you, who even uses the world in which we live against you. As Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Flesh book is not a divine power. It is not our war room. It is not part of the gospel league. And the gospel league is, is the means of grace that God gives to all of his sons and daughters, to each of you who have faith in him, he gives you these means of grace. He gives you this league to help you stand firm in what you believe to be true, to help you grow in your understanding of who he is, to strengthen your faith. And so that means if you don't know Jesus, then you don't have the league. And knowing Jesus means you've got to have saving faith in him. And saving faith in Jesus doesn't mean you embrace Christian values. Because Christian values don't get you into heaven. So saving faith in Jesus means you have been regenerated. That means you have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit changes you this way, you will come to Jesus in faith. And that means you will surrender your life to Jesus. Everything that you are, you surrender. That means you rest on Jesus. You trust in Jesus, you depend on Jesus alone. And if you have done this, then the gospel league is here for you. 
Now, we've talked about two members of the Gospel League already. That's the Holy Spirit. In the last two weeks, Lyle had talked and preached on the Word. Now, today we're going to talk about another member, and it's called the War Room. The War Room. And we hear about it in Acts 4, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon that threat and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Please join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill this place with your power, with your Holy Spirit power. We need you to fill our hearts. We need you to fill our lives. We need you, Holy Spirit, to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. We cannot walk this life apart from you. Man, we can't even believe scripture and understand it apart from you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Our families need you. Our kids need you. We need you to come and fill us more and more with your power, with your love. Help us to be sensitive to your leading. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will take the words that are preached today and that you apply it to my heart. I need it. I don't have it all together either. And so lead us to the throne of grace. Lead us to Jesus and strengthen us that we may stand firm in our faith in the times in which we live. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So what's the war room? I mean, that's the obvious question. The war room is prayer. The war room is prayer. And do you have one? And do you enter it often? See, believers in the early church here in the book of Acts, they did. In Acts 4, 23 through 31, Luke gives us one picture of how the early church functioned in the war room. It's just one picture. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what caused these believers to enter into the war room. This is important. What caused them to go in? Something happened that caused them to enter into the war room. And in fact, there were three events that occurred before they went into the war room here in Acts 4. Luke highlights one of them in, in verse 23. He says, when they were released, they went to their friends and, and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. This verse is referring back to the events that led to the war room. This phrase, when they were released, is referring back to the early parts of chapter 4 and chapter 3. And the they is referring to two apostles 
who were recently released from somewhere. Obviously, they got themselves in some type of pickle, some type of trouble. They did something in order for them to be released. They did something that the chief priests and the elders did not like. But what did they do? What did they say? These are important questions. Because what these two apostles did and what happened to them led to the war room. It led the believers into the war room. And these three events that I'm going to talk about, they didn't die out with the apostles. They did did not die out with the apostles. The church and believers today are still called to participate in these three events. And all three of them should cause us to gather in the war room. So the day before Peter and John reported to the church what happened to them, because they are the two apostles that John Luke is talking about here. It's Peter and John. So the day before they went back to the church and reported what happened to them, they went up to the temple in Jerusalem during the hour of prayer. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so them going up to the temple is the first event that led to the war room. Actually, they actually went to a temple gate called the Beautiful Gate. And at this gate, they performed what I call a gospel deed. A gospel deed. That's the first event. Gospel deeds. The apostles did a gospel deed at the temple gate. And the deed was done toward a lame beggar who laid at the gate daily asking for help. Because he had no other means to provide for himself. He was lame. He couldn't walk. He was lame from birth. And I want you to think about that. I'm going to let his brokenness touch your heart for a moment. This man, lame from birth, he never knew what it meant to walk. He could not run. He never, knew, he never could play and run around with kids. And so, and there wasn't, so he was there at the gate depending upon other people for help. And so he was in poverty. He was depending upon the help of others. And so his friends brought him to the gate this day to help him so he can ask for help. And on this particular day, he saw two apostles. Two apostles who were getting ready to enter into the temple. And before they went in, he asked them for help. He asked them for help. And this is what Peter said to him. Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fits his attention on the apostles, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have to give you, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. And he took him by his right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Brothers and sisters, that was a gospel deed done for the least of these. He was healed. His feet and ankles made strong. This event of doing gospel deeds did not die out with the apostles. Do you believe the church is still called to perform gospel deeds? Yes. The church, corporately, us as families, and us as individuals, are called to give gospel deeds towards other people. Fellow believers, non-believers, even our enemies, we are called to display gospel deeds. And gospel deeds are, are tangible expressions of Christ's love to other people. Tangible expressions of it. It's not just saying, hey, I love you. 
It's a tangible. It has meat on it. It's caring for the suffering and brokenness and hardship of others. Those are gospel deeds. It's wanting to see people and their families healed of their brokenness. People, are, people have financial brokenness. There's spiritual brokenness. There's relational brokenness. There's mental brokenness. And in our culture right now, there's sexuality brokenness and identity brokenness. People are broken. And broken people do sinful things at times, things that further add to their brokenness. They may think they're healing the brokenness, but as believers, we know they're not. So it means we enter into another person's brokenness. Or as we say here at the Village Church, we walk alongside of one another in the spirit of mutual brokenness because we all got issues. You see, Peter and John, they made time for this man. You know, they could have walked on by. They could have said, I don't have time. I got to go to the temple to preach. No, they made time. I got to go to my Bible study. No, I don't have time. I, gotta, I got other spiritual things to do. God cares about people. And his people should care about people. So they didn't pass him by. So they showed him dignity and respect in the way they helped him. And each of us, individually, as a family, as a corporate church, we should strive to show gospel deeds the same way. Don't pass people by. Don't give up on them. And trust me, it's hard walking alongside of others and brokenness. But it's messy. It's inconvenient at times. And you want to give up. But we all have to remember, and I have to remember, that Christ never gives up on us. He never gives up on me in my sin struggles, in my brokenness. So we can't give up on other people. So we are to walk alongside other people through gospel deeds. And that is the first event that happened that led to the war room. Now, this gospel deed done by the apostles, it didn't go unnoticed. It got the attention of all the other people in the temple. They saw this once lame beggar walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. And you can, if you can imagine them sitting, it's like, wasn't this guy just outside? And now he's here walking? I mean, he's leaping now, and he's praising God. And so these people here, they were all filled with wonder and amazement. Like, what had happened here? What's going on? They wanted to know how is this possible. And so they sought out Peter and John. And at this time, the apostles were at the temple square. And the people ran to them in amazement, wanting to know what happened. How did this occur? You can't blame them. They just witnessed a miracle. They just witnessed a gospel deed. And so they came to the apostles as if the apostles were the reason that it happened. As if the apostles had the power to do it. And so Peter sensed this. And he wanted to, uh, to, to, to kill that desire because we all know gospel deeds happen only through the power of Christ. Please know that. When, if, if God uses you to help someone out of financial distress or some relational brokenness, guess what? It ain't you doing it. It's Jesus. Jesus alone heals brokenness. Jesus alone brings restoration to people's lives. The apostles were vessels, we're vessels, I'm a vessel. This church is a vessel to be used by Christ for his purposes alone. So we got to understand that, that it's not our power, it's the supernatural power of God through his spirit that delivers people from their brokenness. And that's something a program can't do. That's something a government assistance program would never do. God does it through the power of of his spirit, using his church as a vessel. So Peter sensed what the people were thinking, so he addressed them. 
And, and what he shared with these group of people leads us to the second event. The second event is gospel preaching. Gospel preaching. You see, the gospel deed done by the apostles opened the door for gospel preaching to the mass of people. It gave them an opportunity. Don't look over that. Let that sink into your heart. Because the gospel deeds that you do for Christ will always open the door for you to share the gospel. Gospel preaching. Opportunity to do it. That means all the good works that we do as a believer is done for the purpose of us sharing people the good news of the gospel with them. Pointing them to Christ, not ourselves. So this is what Peter said to the men of Israel. He says, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power and piety we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses in his name, by, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see now. And that faith is through Christ, has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ will suffer, and thus it was fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Think about that. What is Peter doing? He's gospel preaching. He's taking the attention away from the miracle and pointing it to Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we do. The gospel deed opens the door to gospel preaching. And so, beloved of God, do you practice gospel preaching to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your neighbors? Do you practice it? Gospel preaching didn't die out with the apostles. Some things did, but this didn't. The church has to participate in this event. It has to. Now, gospel deeds opens the door to gospel preaching, and gospel preaching opens the door to something else, to a third event, to a final event that led, led the church to gather into the war room. Bear in mind that Peter and John were doing ministry in Jesus' name while in temple. Gospel deeds are done in Jesus' name. Gospel preaching is done in Jesus' name. And so from a distance, there were certain people watching the apostles as they were teaching the people. There were certain leaders in the community, in the religious establishment, that was watching them. It was the priests and the captain of the temple and the elders. And these leaders were greatly annoyed. At the, God, at the apostles, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection for the dead. Gospel preaching in Jesus' name annoyed certain people. Please know it still annoyed them today. It still annoyed them today. People are fine with you doing good deeds. People are fine with you teaching you know, um, certain moral truths. But when you do it in Jesus' name, they don't like that. We're not like that. They didn't like it then. They don't like it now. And so 
these men, these leaders, they wanted to figure out how can we get these apostles to stop doing what they're doing? How can we get them to stop preaching and teaching in Jesus' name? So they arrested them. They, they took them to jail. They were taken into custody. And they were held overnight. And then they, they brought them the next day before the Jewish high court to give an account of their action. They put them on trial. And now, now try what happened here. You see, the apostles did a good deed. They were just helping a guy out. And then they shared the good news of Christ. They just sharing the gospel, and they got locked up for it. They went to jail for it. And now they're standing before the high court, asking and the high court asking them to give us an account of why you do what you do. They questioned them about their actions. And the counsel said to them, by what power, by what name did you do this? And Peter says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. That is what Peter spoke to them with boldness. No, he's on trial here. He could go to jail for life here. But he didn't waver. Now the high court was astonished by this. Their boldness, his, his confidence. They were surprised because Peter and John, I mean, they were uneducated men. They didn't have no degree. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't have a Ph.D. in theology. They were common, average men standing before the educated, telling them they need to get right with Jesus. They were average men, and yet they spoke with boldness and confidence. Then something happened. The high court then recognized, oh, these men were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. And the court didn't know what to do with them. They, trust me, they went in conference to figure out what to do with them. They went in a meeting and said, we got, how, is there anything we can do to stop them? Is there anything we can do to hinder what they're doing? Like we know a miracle took place. The people see it. But is there anything we can do to stop this? And they couldn't. There was nothing they could do. They wanted to punish them, but they, they couldn't. And they didn't. But they threatened them. They said, no longer preach. In the name of Jesus. No longer do this. No longer do that. Then Peter says again, whether it's right at all in the sight of God to listen to you, rather God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see, what took place here before the high court is what I call gospel standing. Gospel standing. Gospel deeds will lead to gospel preaching and gospel preaching will open the door for you to gospel standing. And gospel standing means you better one day have a reason for the hope that you have. And when you when people call you to give that reason, you give it boldly. You, we can't but not speak of it. And so that means for the church, particularly in the changing times of, of our culture in America, gospel standing 
is going to be vital. Gospel standing means at some point you do draw lines in the sand. Gospel standing means that some, there are some hills we need to die on. We stand firm. We stand with boldness. That means we are not ashamed of the gospel. Because by it, we are saved. And by it, other people are saved. Please understand, beloved, that as we continue to preach the gospel in Jesus' name, it will open the door to gospel standing. And the question is, is will we stand in America? Will we stand? When those doors are open, will we stand or will we waver? Will we waver? Will we stand without fear? It means we would defend the gospel without shame, without fear. We draw lines in the sand. There are hills that we die on. We know some of the hills. Christ alone gets us to heaven. We die on that hill. Salvation by faith alone, we die on that hill. A Christian view of marriage, yeah, we die on that hill. We die on that hill. The sanctity of life, pro-life, we die on those hills. We value all human life. From the, from the womb to the grave, we value all human life. And the gospel standing means when you come face to face with those who oppose you, you stand on the gospel with love, with grace, and humility. You stand without compromise. We don't roll over to the culture. We don't wash our hands of the culture. But we stand on the gospel because we love it. The culture. We love people. Now, it's not easy to do gospel deeds because people get on your nerves. It's not easy to do gospel preaching. And it's not easy to stand on, the, on gospel standing because we get scared sometimes. That's where you got to remember those things are in the midst of spiritual warfare. These are the events that led the church to the war room because they knew in order for them to fulfill them, they're going to have to figure out a way to engage the enemy in the process. And so you go into the war room to pray for strength that you can persevere to show good deeds, so you can persevere in preaching the gospel, so you can stand firm when your time comes and the court asks you why you do what you do. I do it because of Jesus of Nazareth. And I would not recant. I would not deny him. We don't do these things apart from the power of the Spirit working in us. And we got to pray, church. Pray for ourselves. Pray for our country. And y'all got me sweating like a Baptist preacher up here. All right. And so, yeah. So, it's when they, after they were released from jail, after these three events, that's when Peter and John went back to the church and told them what happened to them. That's in context. They told the church, we did this, we did that, we went to jail, we got released. And they praised God. And what did they do next? They went to the war room to pray some more. Give us more boldness. And we're going to talk about the war room next week and all, and the content of the prayer. But it's important to know what caused them to get there. It's the same thing that should cause us to go. Those three things. Asking God for help. Arthur Beth Moore says, God has us fight not human flesh and blood, but fight the war that is in the heavenlies. They can only happen from our knees. It can only happen when we're on our knees. 
Prayer is a supernatural weapon that the church has, that we hardly don't use it as often as we should. The church in America has to get back to our knees. It takes more than having right people in certain places. We need God to move dead things and bring life into them. We have the power, the Holy Spirit power in us, and I challenge us to pray for revival, pray for healing, pray that God will redeem those who are lost, pray that he will help those who will struggle with sexual identity and all those things that they struggle with. Those are spiritual welfare. Those are things that are demonic. And we need the Holy Spirit to move. So remember what Jesus said, there's only certain things that can come out by prayer. Remember he told the apostles that? There are certain things happening in our culture that only prayer can help. And will we pray? Pray without ceasing. Enter into your war room for your family, for your church, for your community, for our country. Fight for my knees. You see, Jesus did gospel deeds. Jesus did gospel preaching. And Jesus did gospel, gospel standing. But he also did gospel suffering and a gospel resurrection. And this table here, I love communion because it's, it's always points us back to him and what he did for us. And so if you want an example of what it means to, to persevere in these things, look at Jesus. Look at your Savior. He didn't waver. He didn't compromise. And you know why he did that, right? He did it for you. Think about that. All the things that he went through, the sufferings that he went through, the beating that he went through, he went through it so that you could be made right with God. Think about it. He didn't do it for friends now. now please don't. He wasn't beaten for friends. He wasn't hung on a cross for friends. He was hung on a cross for enemies, the same people that tortured him. He died for them. Know that. Jesus is unlike any other leader, spiritual leader in the world. He died for those who tortured him. He died for enemies to make enemies friends. And this table is a reminder of that for you. Now, if you don't know Christ, if you don't have faith in him, I'm glad you're here. And if you have questions of what it means to have faith in Jesus, please come see me after the service. And I'll share the good news with you. Because here's the thing. What you're looking for, you ain't ever going to fill your soul. If you want happiness, you want peace, you want joy, you want fulfillment and purpose, it ain't gonna, you ain't going to have those things apart from Christ. You were created to know Jesus. You were created to know God. And your heart's cry, the things that you run to, is crying out for that. It ain't going to be satisfied until it comes home. And home is with the Father. And it's through Christ that we get to the Father. So if you have questions about that, please come see me. Parents, if you have any kids with you that have not made profession of faith,